hello and welcome to another episode of Addiction Audio, the podcast from the journal Addiction. Uh, today I'm talking to Professor Alison Ritter from the Social Policy Research Centre in the University of New South Wales in Sydney. Um, now, Professor Alison's most recent paper um, with a team of researchers is titled Are Market Mechanisms Associated with Alcohol and Other Drug Treatment Outcomes? Uh, Professor Ritter, welcome to Addiction Audio. Thank you very much for having me. Um, so your study looked at market mechanisms and, and predominantly you focused on um, competitive retendering. Now, um, I know that this is uh, a big issue in many countries and in the UK, there's, there's lots of conversation about it at the moment um, with the Dame Carol Black Review. Uh, but can you just talk a little bit about how that operates in Australia so we can we can understand that context in which your study... Sure. So Australian alcohol and drug treatment is largely provided either by government services, which form part of the health system, or by non-government services, which are largely charitable organisations. And in that sense, it's not that different from the UK and many other countries. The non-government services in Australia um, provide around 70% of all treatment, um, and that's been growing over time. It was around 50% a few years ago. And it's partly because governments are preferring to divest the responsibility of being direct providers of service and to become the purchaser of services. And this is consistent with new public management, with all of the trends in government basically outsourcing um, their responsibilities and purchasing services. And competitive tendering is, of course, regarded as the most efficient uh, mechanism to purchase services when you have a, a, mar a competitive marketplace and you can um, have services that compete with each other to provide that particular service. And of course, this model works very well for a variety of goods and services. My own view is that it works very poorly when we're talking about healthcare, and in particular when we're talking about healthcare to a, a very marginalised population. Often there isn't a market in, in the normal sense, and competitive tendering is very burdensome to non-government organisations. It involves shorter-term contracts. There's an enormous administrative burden on services to constantly chase money. Um, and for that reason, and there's quite a lot of qualitative research that shows um, that mechanisms like competitive tendering and, and short contracts um, are, are problematic for alcohol and drug treatment. Was there a sense, is there a sense that you, there's some surprise that you had to kind of dig around for the data that you did? If, um, you know, if governments or anyone is competitively tendering in order to increase, um, increase, improve outcomes and get better value for money, um, is there an element of surprise that this isn't currently monitored and published? Uh, not from my point of view, because um, sort of, Monitoring of treatment service systems is rarely done. Um, um, and, you know, account accountability mechanisms are really challenging. I mean, accountability mechanisms in alcohol and drug treatment, for example, are completely fraught because, you know, successfully recovering from alcohol and drugs takes many years. It's a journey. 
you know, an average of seven to 10 episodes of care over a number of years. So how can you hold one treatment agency to account for one episode of care, which contributes to the journey that someone's on, but doesn't necessarily produce abstinence if you're interested in that outcome or, um, you know, consolidated health and well-being. So the association between health and well-being outcomes and any one episode of care is problematic and, and impossible, actually, t- to measure. So, so for your study, you looked at, um, you narrowed this down into, uh, into two outcomes. There was length in treatment and successful treatment outcomes. Uh, can you explain yeah. why you chose those outcomes and, and also what, what your definition of a successful treatment uh, completion was? Sure. I mean, perhaps if I perhaps if I just say something about the motivation for the study, you know, having mentioned that the the qualitative um, research has shown serious concerns, we wanted to know whether there was a problem with these approach approaches to market, the new public management and competitive tendering, and client outcomes. And no one anywhere has conducted a study like this to try and empirically, quantitatively test the relationship. And Australia's ideally suited because, as I said before, we have both non-government competitively tendered services and government services that are on recurrent um, funding arrangements. So we actually have a natural experiment, if you like. The challenge is in relation to the treatment outcomes. And we chose what we would regard as proxy outcomes I mean, length, a longer length of stay in treatment is associated with better health and well-being. Um, but it's not a measure of health and well-being. It's a measure of longer stay in treatment. Successful treatment completion is a variable that all services collect at the end of each treatment episode. Again, it's not necessarily, it's not a measure of health and well-being, but it's a measure that for the period of time that the client received care, they achieved some treatment goals. It's not a measure of consumption, alcohol and drug consumption. So we had these two proxy measures, length of stay in treatment and successful treatment completion as judged by the clinicians. And both of these were available in the administrative database um, for um, treatment in Australia. The other thing we needed to do was to collect all of the funding information, and that actually involved surveying individual um, treatment sites. So we had 178 treatment sites who all completed surveys about their funding arrangements, the amount of funding, the lengths of the contracts, the number of funders, their workforce, composition, their staff turnover rate. And then we linked... um, the um, administrative outcome data with the survey data. So was the information about the competitive tendering status, was that not available? Um, no. Publicly available? No. No. Well, well, governments publish lists of who they provide funds to, but there's usually a lag of a couple of years in that data. It's inaccurate. Um, and no, services had to participate and agree to participate in this study. We had ethics approval and consent. And then it took two or three hours to complete a very detailed survey about their arrangements. The other thing I'd say that's, that makes the data uh, complicated is 
for example, many non-government services have five or six different funders. One funder competitively tends for a two-year contract. Another funder doesn't competitively tender because it's an historical arrangement and it's a five-year contract. So, so different pockets of money within the one service are associated with different procurement arrangements. So, so you have this situation where you have, uh, you know, treatment which is complex, you know, involves multiple outcomes and health and social care improvements and uh, the market mechanisms which are then again themselves very complex which involve multiple funders and multiple different models. Um, That's right, this huge machinery, this administrative machinery that is unbelievably complicated. I mean, we've drawn a diagram of the funding arrangements for alcohol and drug treatment, and I tell you, it looks like a bowl of spaghetti that the dogs got at. Um, it is impenetrable. <laughs> so so um, whilst looking at this, this bowl of spaghetti, um, uh, you also looked at a range of other um, uh, variables. So you looked at uh, uh, competitive tendering and about multiple, funder, multiple funders, but you also included... Uh, several other variables about um, a staff turnover, length of time and the type of type of worker. Um, can you just, at this point perhaps, it might be the, the good opportunity to explain what you found in relationship to those, those outcomes of successful completions and length in service? Um, so, so this is the point, you know, after three years, an incredibly complicated study where I have to give a big sigh our results were not significant. Um, and so, so we did not find a relationship between these market mechanisms and workforce variables and client outcomes. Um, and if you're a glass half-empty person, you would say well, that's incredibly disappointing. How can we advise governments about what they should do? Um, how can we improve client outcomes? Maybe the bowl of spaghetti that the dog got, it doesn't matter that you've got 10 different funders and multiple contracts and three-year agreements and so on. If you're a glass half full person, you'll say, this means that care is being provided in spite of this enormous bureaucratic machinery, and we should be proud of that, firstly. Secondly, this means that governments don't have to competitively tender because it doesn't improve client outcomes. If governments listened to the experiences of service providers, they would understand that there are burdens associated with these, this machinery of procurement. Um, that is not adding value, that is not improving things. So why continue doing it? Um, might might a, a commissioner um, or um, government representative see this as, a, as perhaps a green light to recommission in that, well, if it doesn't cause any harm and we can save some money, then um, perhaps we can carry on doing this? Well, there's a real question in there about whether it does save money or not. So we haven't done an audit or a financial accounting of the cost to the commissioner of this activity, which is substantial. 
and the cost to services, which is also substantial. So, you know, a future piece of research would in, would involve actually estimating the costs associated with this mechanism and comparing that to the costs associated with other purchasing or procurement or commissioning mechanisms. And, and like medicine, if you've got two drugs that produce equal outcomes, arguably that's what our results show, the question is, which one is cheaper? And it's not clear, I, I don't think it's clear that competitive tendering is the cheapest option when you think of the whole, all of the costs, including the cost to the commissioner of engaging in this exercise. I remember through, um, um, probably from about 2005 to about um, uh, 2015, 2020, uh, in the UK you saw uh, non-governmental organisations um, start with someone who was writing tenders part-time. And, and by the end of that period, each organisation had a team of three or four people and, and they have to be paid by money won from tenders. And that happens in all the organisations that are mm-hmm. that are contributing. And I think it'd be really fascinating to to look at that a bit more closely and see how those costs um, are, are, are born. I mean, the other, the other thing to say is just to comment on the workforce findings. Again, you can do a glass half full, glass half empty on this. Um, you know, glass half empty, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't seem to matter whether you have allied health professionals or alcohol and drug workers or um, medical staff. Um, you know, the, the alternate interpretation um, is that um, the staffing that we currently have in the non-government sector produces equivalent outcomes to the staffing we have in the government sector. And I, and I say that because there has been, particularly I know from the UK, there's been grave concerns about the, quote, deprofessionalisation of this specialty called alcohol and other drugs, where you need to have, you know, doctors and nurses and machines that go ping and so on. Um, I mean, our, our study suggests that there is not a difference between having... Um, you know, a medically trained um, workforce versus a more social welfare, alcohol and drug trained workforce. And actually, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, I've got a background in clinical psychology and worked for 15 years as a clinician. And honestly, I mean, working with people with alcohol and drug problems, there are so many complex health, social and welfare issues that come together. And good care attends to all of that. And I think alcohol and drug workers in Australia know that and, and provide that care through the non-government system. I find that area so interesting because in research we, or researchers tend to isolate one very specific strand of treatment and find out if it works in isolation but those things are never delivered in isolation and trying to understand how that is effective when it's delivered alongside all these other things in that kind of mess of outcomes and funding I think is a fascinating area. Yeah, thank you. It is, but it's really hard. I mean, people, you know, people will be critical that we didn't control. We 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 did control for a whole bunch of variables. We controlled for the drug type, the treatment received, age, sex, or so so all of the characteristics of the client and the treatment that might have driven the results were all taken out and all all controlled for. Um, but it's it's really hard to do research that captures the messiness of 
you know, a complex treatment service system. Um, so on the market mechanisms front, um, why do you think, so, you know, for example, if you're an organisation and you're competitively tendering out your IT support system, um, it would appear that market forces are effective in you getting the cheapest one and being able to drive up value for money through competition. So why do you think they those principles don't apply um, for addiction treatment? Is this a kind of, actually, in theory, it will never work? Or is it that in practice, the bureaucracy has kind of has rendered those effects uh, null? Well, I think I think probably both things are true. I'm not sure that this directly answers your question, but... The, the best versions of competitive tendering don't compete on price. They compete on quality. And in um, one of our jurisdictions in Australia, there is a fixed price competitive tendering process. And, that, and that's becoming actually a bit more common. So there was recently a tender for a, a combined residential withdrawal and rehabilitation service that was a fixed price. Um, and I actually think that that approach where you're competing on quality, you're not competing on price, might actually be a much better approach if you accept that competitive tendering is the best way to purchase um, healthcare, um, which, which I don't accept as a kind of standing premise. Um, I mean, the, the idea that we would competitively tender a hospital um, is beyond the pale. Um, but somehow we can do that with alcohol and drug treatment. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a whole other area in why drug and alcohol treatment is 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 viewed in this way by, by kind of governments and commissioning uh, organisations. Um, so if we, um, towards the end of, of your article, if we... Uh, you know, heave a big sigh and and realise that that actually it, there was there was no significant outcomes, no significant differences. Um, how should uh, commissioners uh, go about improving the quality of addiction treatment services? Yeah. So so the first thing I'd say is they should invest in more research because I'm a researcher and that I always have to conclude that. But more seriously, I mean the results were inconclusive. Um, so we, we do need to continue to try and understand the impact of um, new public management and market mechanisms on client outcomes. Um, and we need to either replicate this study at, and or have other studies in, in other contexts that try and tackle this issue. Um, secondly, I think it's important that Commissioners appreciate the qualitative research that's been widely published, including some of my own, on the, the concerns and the administrative burden and the instability that these market mechanisms create. And, and given that our research published here suggests that there is no advantage to clinical outcomes from continuing down this path, why would governments continue to do that? So, um, what were the, some of the things, some of the limitations to your study? So, um, the first was that the outcome measures that we chose that were available were proxy outcome measures and and weren't measures of health and well-being. 
Um, secondly, we had a smaller proportion of government organisations who participated compared to non-government organisations. Um, and thirdly, the data were very messy and we had to categorise sites um, by groups of professions or by contracting mechanisms. Um, we did test a number of those um, those coding arrangements and we didn't find, the results didn't differ. So we're reasonably confident about that. Um, but they're the main limitations from the work. Fantastic. So um, uh, my, can I ask uh, what you're working on now? I mean, are you building on this work for future publications? Yeah, so um, one, of the, one of the things that we have not studied at all is private treatment and... Okay. I assume there is private treatment in the UK and we've just, for years and years, I've just completely ignored private treatment. Um, so we're, we're trying, we're starting with collecting um, some data about how big that is. It might turn out that that comprises a huge proportion of treatment demand. We have no idea because no one does, and it's not recorded anywhere. Second thing I'm doing a lot of work on is treatment planning um, so we've got a treatment planning model that predicts need and demand for treatment and the resources required. And so working with um, different governments around Australia on developing an approach to planning the future of alcohol and drug services, which includes planning around funding arrangements, of course. Uh, sounds fascinating. Sounds definitely like research to, to keep your eye open uh, for. Yeah. Thank you. Um, uh, Professor Alison Ritter, thank you so much for your time. Uh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me.